Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and today I am flying solo. That's right, my partner in crime, co-host Simone Malaz, is uh, off enjoying a well-deserved family location. So we miss her, but we're keeping things moving, and uh, there's no shortage of important topics to discuss today. As I'm sure most folks in Louisiana uh, and New Orleans are aware, most folks nationally, um, the Mississippi River is high. A lot of our rivers are high. There's been a lot of rainfall, a lot of precipitation from upriver. Of course, there's been immense amounts of devastation to communities that have flooded in the Midwest and other parts of the country that we're thinking about. Um, And here in Louisiana, we're keeping an eye on the river, and the Army Corps has already opened the Bonnie Carey for the second time this year. That was the first time ever that they've opened the the spillway, um, the Bonnie Carey spillway, twice in the same year. And they're preparing to open the Morganza spillway, which will only be the third time um, in its history that they've opened it. So um, a big topic, a lot of uh, attention on the spillways um, and the high river, both locally and nationally. And I'm so glad that we have um, our resident expert, um, Dr. Alicia Renfro, coastal scientist with National Wildlife Federation and Restore the Mississippi River Delta here to help us, no pun intended, navigate this high river. Um, So welcome to Delta Dispatches, Alicia. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, and I should say welcome back. Um, at this point, I think you're becoming a little bit more of the uh, interim co-host uh, than a ga- repeat guest. This must be what, like your seventh or eighth dis- dispatch. Yeah. Well, always appreciate your time. So let's let's dive right in. Um, what are the current levels on the Mississippi River? Yeah, we're pretty high across the board. Um, Here in Louisiana, uh, currently there's more than a million cubic feet per second of water moving past New Orleans, Uh, 1.3 million moving past Baton Rouge, and even on the Atchafalaya side, there's nearly 600,000 cubic feet per second going down the Atchafalaya. And so, you know, that's a lot, um, but, you know, for most people, I don't think know what that means really. Can you kind of help contextualize, like, what's a normal river stage? Um, The average for the Mississippi River is about 550,000 cubic feet per second. So we're almost twice the typical average of the river. Uh, We hit flood stage about when we hit about a million here in New Orleans. Okay. And I mean... Uh, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, I mean, even in their statements, they're acknowledging that this is kind of unprecedented, correct? Oh, yeah. This is this is a, a very long um, river flood. We've had pretty much high waters almost since November. It's really ramped up in the last couple of months, but we've, we've had a high river for a long time. So help us understand where where's all this water coming from? Mm-hmm. So um, it's really been a wet year um, for much of the Mississippi River's drainage basin. It has a huge drainage basin, and places in the Midwest and in the central part of that basin have experienced some of the highest rainfall that's ever been measured in the 124 years we've been measuring it. And in fact, the Army Corps of Engineers, Major General uh, Kaiser, said that this was unprecedented, that this is not business as usual. We have a, a very high river this year. Wow. I mean, in some ways, we are really thankful for the protections that exist uh, through the spillways, through the levees, but other areas upriver, I mean, they haven't been as lucky, right? There's been some significant flooding happening across the Midwest. 
Yeah, Midwest and central part of the U.S., places like um, Illinois, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas are experiencing a lot of flooding, and and it's going to take a long time for them to recover. Yeah, well, certainly our thoughts are with, you know, all of those people um, and those communities that have been devastated uh, by, by the flooding from the rivers. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about this system that seeks to um, manage the river, manage um, flood protection, you know, keeps communities here in New Orleans, St. Bernard, Plaquemines safe, um, the Mississippi River and Tributaries Project. What is it? Yeah, so the Mississippi River and Tributaries, also called the MRNT, is a, a system that was put in place after some really devastating floods that happened in the early part of the 20th century. Um, it's a system of levees that were built to a federal standard, as well as floodways like the Bonnie Carey Spillway, the Morganza Floodway, as well as channel improvements that help control floodwaters moving down the Mississippi River to protect communities, but also provide consistent navigable river to help service all those farmers trying to get their products out onto a world market. So, you know, that's a that's a massive system. As you said, it was it was constructed and designed in response to the Great Flood of 1927. Yep. Okay. And I think I read somewhere the what we're experiencing right now is is almost comparable to the the what happened in 1927, at least in terms of the levels of water. Is that correct? Or the duration? I mean, we're, I think we're still a little bit below the levels, but in terms of duration, we've, we've now had a longer flood than they had during the 27 flood. So we're, we're definitely in new uncharted territory. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost been a century, right? It, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're getting into the 20s. So, um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about the spillways. Um, I mean, mo- most people are paying attention now to Morganza because um, the Corps announced that it's, you know, planning to open it. Um, what is the Morganza spillway? Sure. So the Morganza Spillway is a, a flood control structure, a river control structure that's part of that MRNT system. Um, it's located between the Old River Control Structure and Baton Rouge, and it's this big gated structure that can be opened up when the river is high, and it can divert up to 600,000 cubic cubic feet per second of water from the Mississippi River into the Atchafalaya Basin. So it's this giant spillway that's 20 miles long and five miles wide. Wow. And so, um, I mean, when they open it, where what happens? I mean, essentially, is the water flows from the river. Where does it go? It goes into this big spillway, this 20-mile-long spillway, and eventually it ties into the Atchafalaya River Basin. So that water will eventually go down into the Atchafalaya. Now, the river that we, the high river vent that we currently have, they're not going to have to use that 600,000 um, CFS capacity. They'll probably just use 100 to 200,000 um, that they'll bleed off the river and put it down to the Atchafalaya. Okay, and it sounds like um, initially there were reports that may they may be opening it opening it on Sunday, but now it sounds like it may be later next week. Yeah, I think right now they're looking at about Wednesday. Um, if you, as someone who constantly tracks the, the river forecast, it's been changing quite a bit. And so, you know, a little precipitation in different locations can really change um, what the river does in a, in a time frame. So we're all kind of just watching the river and trying to figure out what it's going to do and when things need to be opened. And um, it hasn't been open very often, correct? 
No, it really hasn't. Um, they built it. It was finished construction back in the 50s. Uh, they had a partial opening of the structure in 1973 when there was a river flood and the old river control structure was um, in danger of getting taken out. They opened it to relieve the pressure there. And then um, they opened it for the 2011 river flood. So this will be the third time in its life that it's been opened. Wow. And I mean, do they give any guidance on how long it may be opened once they do it? Uh, I don't know that we know right now. You know, everyone's just keeping an eye on those river conditions to see when it drops enough that they'll be able to close. And I think the Corps will be eager to close it whenever they can. Yeah. Are there specific um, resources or or website that folks can go to if they want to stay up to date? Yeah, I think um, the most up-to-date thing that I've seen is the Army Corps of Engineers New Orleans District does have a Facebook page, and they post very frequently and kind of give you an update of what's happening, what the Bonnie Carey Spillway is opened at, how much discharge, and, and when they might open Morganza. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have to um, stay on top of that, and I know you'll probably be keeping us updated. What's your Twitter, just so folks can follow you, um, I know, whether in, uh, regarding this or you know for future stories? Uh, Yeah, my Twitter handle is Alicia Renfro. Okay, just at Alicia Renfro. And that's A-L-I-S-H-A Renfro. Um, All right, well, we have a lot more to get to. I mean, we just um, scratched the surface on Marganza. We want to talk about Bonnie Carey. um, And then also talk about, you know, just more generally what's been happening with these high rivers that seem to be occurring more and more often. Um, You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. We'll be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. 
and we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and I'm excited to have back with us frequent guest, semi-co-host, Dr. Alicia Renfro with National Wildlife Federation and Restore the Mississippi River Delta. So, Alicia, we were talking about the upcoming opening of the Morganza Spillway. Remind everyone again, when is it expected to be open? Um, right now, the Corps is looking at June 6th as a possible opening. They're continuing to monitor the river levels, but that's where we stand right now. Okay. And I... Next Wednesday. And I saw yes, yesterday when I drove to Baton Rouge that the Bonnie Carey Spillway is open and flowing. Um, so give everyone a reminder, on the, a refresher on the Bonnie Carey Spillway. Yeah, so the Bonnie Carey Spillway is um, a spillway structure that's located just above New Orleans. If you're driving by I-10, you see a lot of water flowing, you're driving over the Bonnie Carey. Um, this is a structure that's operated whenever the discharge of the river is um, more than 1.25 million cubic feet per second. So this is open to alleviate the pressure on the levees that pass through Orleans Parish, Plaquemines Parish, and St. Bernard Parish. Um, and it'll divert that water um, through Lake Pontchartrain. So it can divert up to 250,000 cubic feet per second, but right now it's almost at about half of that, around 140,000. Yeah, I was walking my dog on the levee in Araby the other night, and the river is like so high. You know, it's, it it's, it's terrifying and also makes you sort of grateful that you have these flood uh, protection systems in place. But um, it's an unprecedented year for the Bonnie Carey, right? I mean, why is that? Yeah, so the Bonnie Carey Spillway was constructed back in the 30s, and it's been operated now 14 times in its history. But this year is the first time it's ever been open in back-to-back years and been open twice in one year. So it, it was opened earlier this year, closed, and then they had to open it again. And it was open last year, which was the first time it was open back-to-back uh, years. How much water can flow, I mean, through the Bonnie Carey? Give us a, a sense of that scale. What two hundred fifty thousand doesn't doesn't see you? Yeah. So just to give you an idea of like visualize what that means is um, at its peak discharge, it's up to it's the equivalent of three Niagara Falls. So that's a whole lot of water. You could fill the Superdome in less than nine minutes. Wow, the Superdome yeah. in less than nine minutes with it. Um, that I mean, it, it is a massive scale. Um, and, you know, ha- have they said anything about how long it's going to be open or is it the same thing? Just they're kind of having to monitor the river levels. Yep. They're just monitoring, just watching the river. They'll, they'll close it as soon as they can. Okay. Um, I mean, so these openings are becoming more frequent, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, has there been, I know you and your team have been looking at the openings and just the high river in general and doing some analysis on these. What are some of the findings that you have in terms of both our high rivers and openings of the Bonnie Carey Spillway? So high river events and when they have to open the Bonnie Carey Spillway can go through cycles. We've had times where they opened it more than, more decades than others. Um, so it does happen. Um, a recent analysis by Alex McCorkadale looked at the frequency of opening and found that over the lifetime of the structure, it's been open about every seven years, but in the last 10 years, it's been open every three years. So we're seeing an increase in the frequency we have to open it. And the Army Corps recently put out a report that shows there's been an increase in both the frequency and magnitude of high river events over the last 30 years. And um, 
I mean, why is that? Is it just, is it raining more or, you know, why, why do you think we're going through, I guess, the cycle or, you know, the, the, the openings and the high rivers are becoming more frequent? So right now it seems mostly linked to when we do have heavy rainfall events, they're bigger than they used to be. They're even heavier. And so you have that, all that water that's kind of coming down in one pulse that's making the flood event happen. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, can we talk a little bit about, um, I guess, I mean, other systems that are on the river? I know there's been a lot of attention, and I believe you visited recently um, the old river control structure. Tell us, I mean, that's not a spillway, but that's right. another uh, piece of engineering on the river designed to kind of keep it, um, you know, uh, controlled. So tell us a little bit about that structure. Sure. So the old river control structure, um, it, it helps control the flow between the Atchafalaya and the Mississippi River. Back in the 50s and 60s, the Army Corps of Engineers realized that more and more of the river's flow is going down the Atchafalaya River rather than the Mississippi mainstem. So the old river control structure was put in place so that 70% of the combined Mississippi River and Red River goes down the Mississippi mainstem, past New Orleans, past Plaquemines, past St. Bernard, and then 30% goes down the Atchafalaya. And so it helps control that flow so that we actually have control over the river. We don't want the river to jump over to the Atchafalaya. That and I mean, would be disastrous. <laughs> are there concerns of that happening? Um, back in 1973, um, when there was a, a flood event, there were concerns then. The structure was uh, under a lot of pressure, and there was concerns that they would lose control of the structure. That's why they opened the Morganza spillway partially. This flood event, no. Um, they've done a lot of modifications to Old River Control since 1973, so there are a lot more safety measures in place to prevent that. Other relief valves. Okay. And um, you did you visit the Old River Control Structure? Yeah. I, um, this past Friday, I decided to take a little field trip before they maybe were going to open Morganza. So I went to both the Morganza floodway as well as uh, the Old River Control Structure. You know, no big deal. I'm just going to take a little drive and go check out these <laughs> massive uh, engineering projects. So, so, you know, give our listeners a little bit of a, you know, a visual. What, what are they like? Yeah, so they kind of, um, they are nicely well marked, so you, you can drive up there, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, it seems like, and you drive across, you can drive across both the structures, there are little pull-off areas where you can stop and look at it. Uh, I stopped, parked my car, and, and got out and was looking at the Morganza spillway area and um, the structure itself, and there's all this water against one side of the structure, and then on the floodway side, right now, since the structure hasn't been open, you have a lot of agricultural areas. Area. There was cow. There were cows right on the other side of all that water um, on Friday. It's a pretty remarkable area. And then for the Atchafal or for the Old River Control Structure, of course, you had a lot of water flowing through that. You could see, you know, the unusual um, site of white water in Louisiana. Yeah, and so um, you know, before that structure was in place, I mean, I guess. You know, can you give us a little bit of the history of kind of the Atchafalaya? I mean, you know, there's, of course, that great New Yorker article called Atchafalaya and, and countless books written on it. But there was a period where, you know, the Atchafalaya wasn't flowing because it was so um, jammed with logs. Is that correct? So tell us a little bit about kind of the recent history with the Atchafalaya. 
sure. So the Atchafalaya River is the last major distributary of the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River used to have all these distributary channels that the water and sediment used to flow out of. But one by one, they've been cut off, and so the Atchafalaya is the last one to remain. Um, eventually, the river probably would have jumped to have the major flow going down the Atchafalaya and emptying into the Gulf of Mexico through the Atchafalaya Bay. Um, However, that would have taken time for that to occur. The Atchafalaya River was actually full of log jams. There were all these logs in there that we actually cleared out over time, making it a more efficient route to the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. Okay. And then you are seeing, I mean, you um, are featured in our 360 video that looks at the Atchafalaya Basin and compares it to nearby Terrebonne Basin, um, which you can see at MississippiRiverDelta.org slash 360. Um, but the Atchafalaya um, actually has a delta, which we're going to talk about deltas later in the show, but that is that is gaining land. Is that correct? Yeah, there's um, there's two deltas that are building out there. There's the Atchafalaya Delta that's off the Atchafalaya River itself. And then there's the Wax Lake Outlet Delta. And the Wax Lake is a channel that was dredged back in the 40s to relieve water flood pressure against Morgan City. Um, they haven't, they don't do dredge disposal or anything in that area. However, this delta has popped up and continues to push out into the Gulf. And it's one of the most beautiful, vibrant areas you've ever seen. It's really the of the living, thriving Delta. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of wildlife and plant life and just, uh, you know, overall vibrance, it certainly um, is. And, and that's kind of the point of our 360 videos. You compare this area that's gaining land um, and then next door in Terrebonne, where you don't have as much of that um, fresh water and sediment input, you're losing land at one of the fastest rates on the planet. So definitely worth checking out MississippiRiverDelta.org slash 360. Um, Alicia, before we go, fun question as we like to do, um, what is your favorite summer festival? Oh my gosh, my favorite summer festival. I uh, Bayou Boogaloo has been a favorite. Nice. Recently. Did you go out this year? Oh, most definitely. Okay. It was amazing, as always. Yeah, I definitely love Bayou Boogaloo. Any excuse to listen to music, have good food on Bayou St. John is good enough for me. All right, well, we want to um, have you on for one more segment. If you don't mind holding on through the break, we'll be right back with Dr. Alicia Renfro with National Wildlife Federation. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online, deltadispatches.org. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats, 
for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and I'm very excited to have back with us Dr. Alicia Renfro, um, staff scientist with National Wildlife Federation and Restore the Mississippi River Delta. But before uh, we get back to Alicia, we have to talk about the coastal stat of the week. I would get in so much trouble with Simone if I didn't do this. Um, And this week's stat is provided by our own Alicia Renfro, so it's appropriate. The Bonnie Carey Spillway was constructed in response to the Great Flood of 1927 as part of the Mississippi River and Tributaries Project. The structure sends river water into nearby Lake Pontchartrain to relieve pressure on levees and prevent flooding. At a flow of 250,000 cubic feet per second, its discharge is equivalent to three Niagara Falls. So that was mentioned earlier in the show, but worth repeating, um, three Niagara Falls. So it's pretty huge. Um, So welcome back, Alicia. You know, I actually was just on Twitter um, and I saw that uh, Steve Caparata, who is a meteorologist with WAFB, who you know um, from a recent coastal flyover, tweeted that um, the unprecedented Mississippi River flood continues, uh, nearing five straight months above flood stage in Baton Rouge. Already a record will extend well into summer. And then he tweets a graphic showing that it's been 146 straight days in flood. Um, so basically since January 5th and 94 straight days in major flood. So that's been since wow. February 26th. So certainly an unprecedented year. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of Steve, um, he recently did a story about uh, coastal land loss and restoration. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, so we did a flyover with Steve a a few weeks back um, just to talk about the coast. You know, here in Louisiana, we've we've lost nearly 1,900 square miles of land, and in order to... um, have a more sustainable future for Louisiana, we really need to do restoration on a scale that addresses the scale of our issue. And that means doing a variety of restoration projects, including using the river um, as a, to build land like it once did, putting that river back to work to mimic the natural processes that built the entire um, entirety of the Mississippi River Delta. So Louisiana has the distinct pleasure, um, I would say that, uh, you know, very jokingly, but um, of dealing with water coming down from us from one third of the continental United States, um, but also water coming up from the Gulf of Mexico as a result, well, you know, exacerbated by land loss, but as a result of sea level rise and through hurricanes. So tell us a little bit about that challenge of managing water from both sides. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, we we are we are kind of at the the tail end of a 1.2 million um, square mile drainage basin of the Mississippi River, and on the other end, we have rising sea levels from the Gulf pushing up against us. And so, what we really are kind of faced with a challenge of how do we manage this uh, all this water that surrounds us better? Uh, we have a Mississippi River that's very different than it once was. It's a highly managed system. And so we really need to think about how we can use that river in a different way. We can provide more outlets for the river to help manage floodwaters. And those outlets can also help us build and sustain wetlands, um, but not just build and sustain them, but also sustain them in the face of rising sea levels and storm events. So, um, you know, kind of getting to that point, right? Um, you, you were discussing kind of sediment diversions and that, that those are, you know, engineering projects that will use the river, but they're really different from um, what we were talking about earlier, which are kind of flood control projects or spillways. So can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that distinction? Sure. So projects like um, river control or flood control projects, as they've traditionally been done, like the Bonnie Carey Spillway, are these very large structures that pull water off the very top of the river that doesn't have that much sediment in it. Um, They're also really large. So the Bonnie Carey Spillway is about 250,000 cubic feet per second. Um, The sediment diversions that are currently being planned are about 75,000 cubic feet per second. The Bonnie Carey Spillway is operated um, for extreme events. It's when the river hits a certain flood trigger, it's open. And because we've modified the system so much and we've constrained how much fresh water can go where, when you open the Bonnie Carey spillway, you're you're shocking the system. You're giving it fresh water that it's been cut off from for so long. And so that can really have some um, different effects than if you have, say, a plan diversion that are not only smaller structures, but operated in a way to actually mimic how the river wants functioned, how it built the whole area that we live on today. And is there um, a part of that that, you know, it's where the water is going to? So, you know, I mean, one is going into a, a massive lake, whereas, you know, with the sediment diversions, it would be going into places that have been more thoughtfully selected just in terms of building and maintaining land that's already there. Yeah, it's actually yeah, it's actually being thinking about where you actually want to build land because currently with the the um, Bonnie Carey spillway, a lot of that sediment um, that comes through the structure is trapped in the the spillway itself, and then you have a lot of the fine sediment go and mud going through the lake, and so the river diversions will actually put it through some of the existing wetlands. They can help slow down that flow of water, take up nutrients, capture sediment to build land, and actually put the system back to work. And, um, you know, I mean, we've seen, you know, earlier in the year, certainly satellite imagery of the sediment in High River just like spilling out into the Gulf of Mexico off the continental shelf. Um, I mean, just like we have water coming down from one third of the continental United States, we have sediment. So we're going to talk to your colleague, Rachel, in a little bit about what what that sediment is. But, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the volume of sediment that's coming down um, the river as well? Uh, these days with the high river events, that's really when you see a lot of the sediment coming down. You're flushing all that all that sediment off the large drainage basin and really bringing that sediment down at this point. Um, this is when all the sediment's really being carried by the river. I don't have a number off the top of my head of how much, you know, how many tons of sediment are moving through the area, but there's a whole lot that's moving through right now. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. And, um, you know, folks can certainly go to our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org to learn more about these 
projects um, and, you know, how critical they are um, to the future. I mean, I think Barataria Basin alone, a future without action, um, a 550 square miles of land would be lost over the next 50 years. So it really is crucial to, you know, our communities, but also to all wildlife and the entire ecosystem. Um, Alicia, kind of getting back to the High River and, um, you know, what's happening with Bonnie Carey and now Morganza and that this is seeming to happen more frequently. I mean, is this showing a sign that we need to be thinking about how we manage rivers differently going forward? Yeah, I mean, we currently have a river system that was that was conceived of and constructed nearly a hundred years ago, and the river isn't functioning like that anymore. And so we have the opportunity now to stop being reactive to the river floods and actually think forward to the future and think about how we manage the river in a better way, how we manage the river in a way that balances our flood protection needs with navigation, with restoration. These things can work together. We just have to be thoughtful about it. Well, um, you know, certainly. And, um, you know, I know you, that you've been paying a lot of attention to this. We've had you on in prior years for Bonacary openings. We've had you on to talk about restoration projects. Um, so one more time, can you give us where folks can follow you on Twitter? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Alicia Renfro, A-L-I-S-H-A-R-E-N-F-R-O. All right. And any closing thoughts on the river? Uh, yeah, so this has been a long river flood so far, and it may stretch on for a little while longer. So once we actually see the river start to fall, and it will fall eventually, um, we have a new opportunity and new phase of work will begin to repair the damages caused by this river flood. And we also have the opportunity to manage the river in a better, more thoughtful, forward-thinking way. Well, Alicia, I can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise and all the great work that you do for Louisiana's coast. Um, We're very lucky to have you thinking about these issues on a daily basis, so most of us don't have to. Um, We'll have to have you back on, maybe not too soon. I don't want Simone to get jealous, but thanks as always. And we'll be right back talking about, we're going from rivers to the Delta, which is very connected. So um, we'll be right back on Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. Um, and after that incredibly fascinating conversation and the latest news on the High River and Morganza and Bonnie Carey openings with Dr. Alicia Renfro, um, I'm so excited to bring on another colleague, um, science colleague, um, Rachel Rohde, um, an analyst with Coastal Projects and Programs with Environmental Defense Fund. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Rachel. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me on. So, Rachel, you're based in D.C., which is, um, you know, good proof that our organizations are working here in Louisiana. We're working in D.C. doing all we can on coastal restoration. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. So um, I grew up uh, in St. Louis. So um, that was my connection to the Mississippi River. I was uh, about 40 minutes outside of, of downtown St. Louis. So um, the Missouri and Mississippi rivers were uh, a big part of uh, my upbringing and um, one of the closest water bodies I could get to. And, and one of the things I fell in love um, with, with being near the river. So um, that's a little bit of how I came into this path and, and where I am today. Well, I can certainly appreciate that connection to the river growing up on it down here and having, uh, you know, a significant other from St. Paul, Minnesota. So um, that connection from the beginning to the end of the river is certainly, um, you know, understandable 
understandable. Um, I hope your family's doing okay in Missouri after the the weather that's ha- that's hit there as well. Yes, yes, I have. Actually, I was uh, recently back uh, at the beginning of this month, and it was um, very eye-opening when I was flying into St. Louis, um, seeing a lot of where those levees have been breached and a lot of the farm and um, land uh, surrounding the river is, is already um, underwater and seeing a lot of those farms um, really only seeing the roofs. So it is it is definitely um, affecting them. Um, but, yes, my family, my family is good, so thanks for asking. Okay. Well, um, tell us a little bit about what you do with Environmental Defense Fund and our Restore the Mississippi River Delta Coalition. Sure. So in addition to working with you, which I have the pleasure of doing every day, um, I, so I'm an analyst in our coastal projects and programs team. A uh, large part of what I do is track the progress and implementation of, of projects down in Louisiana um, from the, the coastal master plan. Um, this includes things like tracking the funding allocations from the oil spill, also supporting and advocating for projects that um, you know our coalition and EDF feel uh, are really important, not just in the near term uh, for in terms of restoration, but also in the long term. And in addition to that, I also support our science team in their efforts at advancing the best um, science available. Well, you know, that's certainly very important in terms of, you know, these projects are sometimes, you know, multi-billion dollar projects that are, you know, being implemented over years and really making sure that um, they're moving swiftly to match the urgency of our crisis is so important. So we're very lucky to have you. Um, well, we're staying on the river theme. Um, Alicia was talking a lot about the water, but um, we want to talk to you about Delta since this is Delta Dispatches. Um, you recently wrote a new post on our website that folks can find at MississippiRiverDelta.org called Anatomy of a Delta, the Foundation of New Land. Um, so tell us, you know, let's just start with the basics. What is a Delta? So that's a great question because... I think when a lot of folks tend to hear that term delta, they think about, you know, what you can see above the water surface, right? So the land that, you know, you see protruding out into an open body of water. Um, And so, which is true, a a delta is a place where you're, you know, the river like the Mississippi meets an open body of water like the Gulf of Mexico, and you have that land protruding outward, um, typically where sediment begins to accumulate near the mouth. But what I think a lot of folks don't think about is a majority of a delta is actually beneath the surface of the water, what we call the subaqueous portion. And I like to create you know, uh, use the analogy of a glacier. So a lot of a glacier, what we um, can't see is actually below the surface. And that's similar to a delta. So the foundation of a delta is where sediment accumulates over time, eventually elevating to above the sea water surface and above sea level to what we actually can't see. Yeah, and that's what you see in either the satellite imagery or you're out and you see all those awesome plants and wildlife. Um, that's the top of the delta, but there's a lot more below it. So that's fascinating. Um, in Louisiana, you know, we talk a lot about the Mississippi River Delta, but there have been a number of deltas, and I guess there are a number of deltas um, that are across our state. So what are some of the big examples of those? Yeah, so the Mississippi River um, has been going through its deltaic cycle, which began about over 7,000 years ago, and uh, it eventually formed uh, about six delta complexes. And um, the current one we have today, the Bird's Foot Delta, that we're all familiar with, is what's known as the Belize Delta. Um, we've also had about five others in regions like Plaquemines, Atchafalaya, Lafouche, Tesh, and, and St. Bernard, uh, and just some of those regions. And so this is a natural process that all deltas go through of this, this lobe switching, um, where you have active and then um, older lobes that then begin to sink and subside over time, creating really great estuaries and habitat and creating barrier islands, uh, marking where those lobes 
uh, once were marking those boundaries. So, yeah, I mean, it's essentially the foundation of the new land uh, or, you know, the old land that once existed or, you know, the remnants of what exists. So um, tell us a little bit about, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but what are the different parts of a delta? So if I'm looking, you know, at a, a map of Louisiana and I see the bird's foot delta jutting out into the Gulf, like what, what are the kind of parts that I can see, maybe the ones that I can't see? Yeah, so... Uh, a delta is made up of several parts. So you have the delta plain, which is typically the portion we can see. So that's where you have the main stem of the river, um, as well as the small distributary channels that tend to branch off the end of the river. Um, at the end of those distributary channels, you have what are called mouth bars. And this is um, typically where sand, your heavier sediment, accumulates and creates those uh, what we're all familiar with as sandbars. Um, so all of this you can see. And then uh, once we get below the surface, um, the water surface, you have what's called the delta front. Um, this is typically at the bottom of the sloped portion of a delta where um, you can have sediments eroding or depositing. And typically your waves and tides tend to influence this region. And then you also have farther offshore what you call your pro-delta um, this tends to be deeper, uh, and it's below any influence of waves or tides. And here you have a lot of your smaller, finer particles um, deposited from the river that are travel out a little bit farther from the mouth. So that's the different parts, and um, a lot of those parts are comprised of, you know, sediment, or, or I guess it's land, it's earth. So um, what are the different types of sediment that flow down uh, the Mississippi River? Yeah, so... Obviously, deltas require sediment in order to, you know, to be formed. So like you mentioned, there are different types, um, which I've kind of alluded to a little bit. But to keep it simple, we, you basically have your sand, silts, and clays. Um, and your, the Mississippi River is, is made up of uh, predominantly those uh, three forms, with your sand being your coarsest um, and largest particles and your clay being more of your finer um, sediment particles. And those fine sediments are really highly mobile. They tend to travel a little bit farther and they also make up about 80% of the sediment load in the majority of rivers. So you, um, in the web page that you did about about this, um, you talked about the different types of sediment and also how sediment is transported, I guess, across um, a, a basin or, you know, across an area um, and or how it would be through a sediment diversion. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that sediment distribution happens and, you know, kind of what it means for in terms of building and maintaining the land that we have? Yeah, so um, talking a little bit about where, I guess, sediment comes from initially, you know, today our sediment is sourced primarily from the upper river valleys, um, the upper and middle Mississippi River valleys from uh, nearby adjacent land. And you have those stream banks and, and channels um, that are eroding over time. So you can have um, erosion and a number of factors that eventually promote the stream banks to fail. And you um, have these layers of soil that begin to erode and then subsequent, subsequently wash down into the stream, break, stream bank and then eventually into the river itself. Um, and this is obviously, this has changed over the past couple centuries due to the changes in land use and river management. And um, so in addition to that, sediment can do, once it's in the, the river, can do one of three things. It can be transported, it can be eroded, or it can be deposited. So um, this is dependent upon the size of the sediment particle, also the water velocity. So like I mentioned, your larger sediments um, will most likely be deposited. Uh, they'll fall out of the suspension uh, much quicker. And then you have your smaller sediments, uh, like your muds and clays, that tend to travel a little bit farther and are more likely to be transported. So obviously things like 
uh, hurricanes and storms and an increase in discharge in the river can have impacts and influence any sort of resuspension in the river if sediments have already um, settled out. And then you also can have your sediment travel in a couple different forms when it's being transported. So you can have sediment that is at the bottom of the river, where it tends to be more and you're rolling and sliding along the bottom of the river. Um, and you can also have your suspended load, which um, is where your sediment particles are moving throughout the water column um, higher than the riverbed, but lower than the water surface. Well, that's um, very important. And I know um, in, in your webpage, you mentioned how um, that sediment will be distributed, not just in the immediate outfall area of a sediment diversion, but even as far out as getting approaching the, the sediment diversion. So is that part of the, the why these projects are so important in terms of, you know, being able to distribute large amounts of sediments as far as possible to keep and maintain land? Yeah. So, I mean, if you take a sediment diversion, for example, um, and, you know, in the modeling that we've seen, um, We've seen that uh, similar to like the Mid-Barrett area, the modeling has shown us that it almost creates a similar um, actual natural delta um, to what you'd have similar to the Wax Lake, as Alicia mentioned before. So in the modeling, we've seen that your heavy, our heavier sediments, like the sand, is going to deposit really close to the outfall of the structure. Um, and then we have our silts and clays that start to move throughout the basin, um, even as far as your barrier islands. And that's really important for vegetation growth and creating habitat. Well, it's certainly um, important, and you know, I, I would encourage everyone to go to the website MississippiRiverDelta.org um, and look for Anatomy of a Delta by Rachel. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for being on Delta Dispatches. We'll have to have you back on and talk more about this. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation about the Mississippi rivers, um, certainly as we think about the High River right now and the need for flood protection, but also forward-looking in terms of how do we protect from the water that's coming up from the Gulf of Mexico and how do we restore our coast to be that vital storm surge buffer. Um, So we'll be back next week. Simone will be back. Um, And thank you so much for listening. This has been Delta Dispatches on WGSO.